everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Pillow Talk and Black and B, the podcast where we just talk. I'm B, and I'm here with my husband. Hello, hello, hello. Today, we got an interesting little episode. We're going to be reading a book together. Yeah. Um, so this is a book that my grandma actually gave to me when I was like 13, and I just, I know it was like an interesting read, but I feel like I'm going to absorb a lot more and have a lot more thoughts about it now. Yeah, it's called The Screw Tape Letters, and it's by C.S. Lewis. Um, I would imagine this was written many, many years ago, like you said, if your grandma was reading it and stuff. First um, published in 1942. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I know a little bit about C.S. Lewis. Like, he wrote uh, Chronicles of Narnia. He was a which Christian. Is, he was a Christian, too, yeah. And he was, like, a pretty predominant, prominent fantasy author because of Narnia, like, even though uh, he kind of wrote that from like a Christian point of view, it still became popular mainstream. And he wrote it in a, I guess in a good enough way. It seems pretty obvious now when I watch it, like the Christian parallels, but I guess he wrote it where it wasn't too obvious. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I grew up thinking, like yeah. focusing on the Christian parallels. Yeah, maybe that's just because that's the mindset we came from. But, but I could see how it would be just a fantasy book yeah, yeah, if you yeah. didn't have that background. Yeah, yeah you're, you're a big... Uh, Narnia fan. I love Narnia. Yeah. I love Narnia. I love how the worlds are built. I love how <laughs> they de especially the last book, how they deconstruct everything. I grew up on like radio drama though. So each character had their own voice and there were sound effects and so I could I would <laughs> yeah, listen yeah. to it at night or listen to it on road trips and really stuff like let that. It permeate your sleep. It would create the pictures for me. It was like honestly some of the best books really yeah it's weird like i i should be more into narnia because it's just like talking animals but i was never like a narnia person oh it was so cool yeah yeah but like you know i just i just got obsessed with 40k so everything else is like Meh! and you always compare it to 40k <laughs> like even when you talk about why you don't like this is why i Harry don't like Potter. real life <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh yeah so the screw tape letters is basically uh written as you should maybe well, say. Well, yeah. So from what I remember, it's basically um, uh, like a senior demon educating his nephew, a junior demon, on how to demon, you know? Yeah. How to act, where to target, how to use the demonic forces against the good forces or whatever. It's, yeah. From what I remember, it's a very interesting perspective into good and evil. Sure. So. Let's get into it let's then. Let's get into it. Um, it says to J.R.R. Tolkien, the best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to texts of scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. Luther. And then there's another quote. The devil, the proud spirit, cannot endure to be mocked. Thomas More. The pre preface. I have no intention of explaining how the correspondence which I now offer to the public fell into my hands. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve, disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and then feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician or a magician with the same delight. The sort of script which is used in this book can very easily be obtained by anyone who has once learned the knack, but ill-disposed or excitable people who make bad use of it shall not learn it from me. Readers are advised to remember that the devil is a liar. Not everything that Screwtape says should be assumed to be true, even from his own angle. 
I have made no attempt to identify any of the human beings mentioned in the letters, but I think it very unlikely that it portrays, say, of Friar Spike. What's F-R dot Spike? Is that Friar? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, F-R. Something <laughs> Spike. Or the patient's mother are wholly just. There is wishful thinking in hell as well as on earth. In conclusion, I ought to add that no effort has been made to clear up the chronology of the letters. Number 16 appears to have been composed before rationing became serious. But in general, the the diabolical method of dating seems to bear no relation to the terrestrial time, and I have not attempted to reproduce it. The history of the European war, except in so far as it happens now, and then to impinge on the spiritual condition of one's being was obviously of no interest to screw tape. C.S. Lewis. Magdalene College, July 5th, 1941. Chapter 1. My dear Wormwood, I know what you say about guiding your patient's reading and taking care that he sees a good deal of his materialist friends, but are you not being a trifle knife? It sounds as if you supposed that argument was the best way to keep him out of the enemy's clutches. That might have been so if I had lived a few centuries earlier. At the time, humans still knew pretty well when a thing was proved and when it was not. And when it was proved, it was, they really believed it. They still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter the way of their life as a result of the chain of reasoning. But what the weekly press and other such weapons have largely altered that. Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to have a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside of his head. He doesn't think about doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally at keeping him from the church. Don't waste your time trying to make him think that materialism is true. Make him think that it's strong or stark or courageous. That is the philosophy of the future. That's the sort of thing he cares about. The trouble about argument is that it moves the whole struggle into the enemy's own ground. He can argue too. Whereas in real practical propaganda of the kind I'm suggesting, he has been shown for centuries to be the great, greatly... to be greatly the inferior of our father below. By the very act of arguing, you awaken the patient's reason, and once it's awake, who can foresee the result? Even if a particular train of thought can be twisted so as to end our favor, you will find that you will have been strengthening in your patient the fable habit of attending to the universal issues and withdrawing his attention from the stream of immediate sense experiences. Your business is to fix his attention on the stream. Teach him to call it real life and don't let him ask and don't let him ask what he means by real. Remember, he is not like you, a pure spirit. Never having being a human, ugh, the indomitable advantage of the enemies. You don't realize how enslaved they are to the pressure of ordinary. I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. One day, As he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind begin to go the wrong way. The enemy, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years' work begin to to totter. 
If I had lost my head and began to attempt to defense by argument, I should have instantly been undone, but I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best understood my control and suggested that it was just about time that he had some lunch. <laughs> the enemy presumably made a countess suggestion. You know how one can never quite overhear what he says to them. That was his, that, this was more important than lunch. At least I think it must have been his line for when I said, quit, in fact, much too important to tackle at the end of the morning. The patient brightened up considerably, and by that time, I had added, much better come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind. He was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street battle, was won. I showed him a newsboy reaching, I showed him a newsboy shouting in the midday paper, a number 73 bus going past, and before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come to a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. He knew that he had a narrow escape in the year, in the later years, was fond of talking about that inarticulate sense for actuality, which is our ultimate safeguard against the aberrations of mere logic. He is now safe in our father's house. He begins to see the point. Thanks to the process which we set at work in them centuries ago, I find it all but impossible to believe that in the unfamiliar, while the familiar is before their eyes. Keep pressing home on him the ordinary ordinariness of things. Above all, do not attempt to use science, I mean the real sciences, as a defense against Christianity. They will positively encourage him to think about the realities he can't touch and see. There have been sad cases among the modern physicists. If he must dabble in science, keep him on economies and sociology. Don't let him get away from the invaluable real life. But the best of it all is to let him read no sciences. Give him a grand general idea that he knows it all and that everything he happens to have picked up in the casual talk and reading is a result of modern investigation. Do remember, you are there to fuddle him. From the ways, from the way some of you young friends talk, oh, you young fiends talk, anyone would suppose it's our job to teach. Your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. Yeah, interesting, interesting. It's very interesting how, like, right off the bat, there's things that, like, they talk about nowadays where it's, like, it's a distraction and... Yeah. I mean, we talk about gluttony all the time. <laughs> and it's funny, I've, I've been in situations where it's just like, ah, I could keep working, but I'm just going to go and eat, like... <laughs> and then I start telling my things, all these things, where I'm just like, I need a poutine to think better. <laughs> I need a poutine you know? to think <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, even if, like, uh, you, this isn't from, like, a Christian perspective, like, there's still, like, the traps and stuff that is set before you, I'm sure, like, uh, still pick up a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, chapter two. My dear Wormwood. Let me just pull this closer. I note with a grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. 
Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out throughout time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as our terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempest, tempters uneasy. But fortunately it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees a local grocer with a rally with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabbly little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and very small print, and in very small print. When he gets to his pew and looks around him to see just that selection of his neighbors, whom he has hilt hitherto avoided you want to learn pretty you learn wow you want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors make his mind flit to and fro between the expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew it matters very little, little of course what kind of people that next pew really contains you may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side no matter your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. At this present stage, you see, he has an idea of Christians in his mind, which supposes to be spiritual, but in fact is largely pictorial. Largely pictorial. His mind is full of togas, sandals, and armor and bare legs, and the mere fact that other people in the church wear modern clothing is never, is never real, though the course of an unconscious difficulty to him. Never let it come to the surface, never let him ask what he expected them to look like. Keep everything lazy in his mind now, and you will have all eternity wherein you to amuse yourself by producing in him the particular kind of clarity which hell affords. I'm just gonna stop here for a second. Uh, yeah, this is kind of thing like a nice thing. Like, don't like categorize too hard. Like, I feel like we've been around enough Christians to get the deal for the most part. But like, it's, it's very easy to think sometimes of the most outlandish version of a Christian, and then to just cast everything else aside. See, and I was thinking about like high school, and even just like how distracted you can be with your own personal development if you're focused on everybody else like as yeah it's interesting i'm not even thinking christian or non-christian i'm thinking like okay life what kind of things do i get distracted by by like like everybody on instagram everybody wants to be that top 100 or that top one <laughs> percent but that top one percent is fake it's botox it's three grand in t like it's just it's just 
unachievable and yeah. fake. And so even in these situations where you're looking around and like, oh, well, that boot squeaks or that like, it's just yeah. like little things. They're just like, who cares? Yeah. It's interesting. Carrying on. Oh, no, no, no. Work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. The enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when the boy who has been enchanted with the mysteries of the stories of the Odyssey buckles down to really learning Greek. It occurs when lovers have got married and begin the real task of learning to live together. In every department of life, it marks a transition from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. The enemy takes this risk because he has a curious fantasy of all of making all these disgusting little human vermin into what he calls free lovers and servants, sons. He uses the word with his invert, whoa, inverterated? Inverterated? Inverterate love of the degrading the whole spiritual world by unnatural liaisons with the two-legged animals. Desiring their freedom, he therefore refuses to carry them by the mere affections and habits to any of the goals which he sets before them. He leaves them to do it on their own, and there lies the opportunity. But also, remember, there lies the danger. If once they get through this initial dryness successfully, they become much less dependent on emotion and therefore much harder to tempt. I've been writing hit, uh, hilt, that word is fun, hitherto. Hitherto. Oh yeah, fucking hitherto. I've been writing hitherto. I hear both of them been writing hitherto. <laughs> on the assumption that the people in the next pew afford no rational ground for disappointment. Of course, if they do, if their patient knows that the woman with the absurd hat is a fanatical bridge player, or the man with squeaky boots is a miser and extortioner, then your task is so much the easier. All you then have to do is keep out of his mind the question, if I, being what I am, can consider that I am in some sense a Christian, why should the different vices of those people in the pew prove that their religion is mere hypocrisy and convention. You may ask whether it is possible to keep such an obvious thought from occurring even to the human mind. It is with warm word, it is. Handle him properly and it simply won't come into his head. He has not been any he has not been anything like long enough with the enemy to have any real hum humility yet. What he says even on his knees about his own sinfulness sinfulness is all parrot talk at the bottom he still believes he has run up a very favorable credit balance in the enemy's ledger by allowing himself to be converted and thinks that he is showing great humility and condescension hmm, yeah, in going to the church with those smug commonplace neighbors at all keep him in that state of mind as long as you can your affectionate uncle screw tape um, yeah, that's always another thing to consider just because people are, you know, I think by nature imperfect doesn't mean what they're believing in or their ideals are flawed. Like, you know, people mess up all the time. Mm -hmm. I think it's just those people that just make the same fuck ups over and over where you're like, okay, you get three tries after that. You, you, yeah. You kind of lose sympathy, but. Yeah, if it's like an active 
choice that they're making or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because, like, I feel like that's... I was talking about this the other day. We were watching this uh, show called Preacher's Daughter, <laughs> and it was just, like, you could see that these parents were just projecting their past into these kids' future. Yeah. And, like, it was just so hypocritical. Like, all the preachers were, like, ex-partiers or whatever. Yeah, one guy's a wrestler. One of the parents aren't even together, don't even have a relationship where they can properly co-parent. They haven't talked in seven years. Like, (laughs) it's just so unhealthy. And then it's unhealthy trying to control these girls but not giving a good example in the first place. Like, it's just so weird. But I realized I was triggered just because of the hypocrisy. And so it's something I'm, like, working on, I guess, where it's, like, who cares what the people do? What do they believe in? Like, who cares? I don't even care what they believe in. Like, what is Christianity as a whole? What is, um, like, the Muslim religion as a whole? Like, what are all of these different things? Buddhism. What do they believe? And how would that belief affect me? How could it change my life? What is, like, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I'm a simple man. My simple analogy is like, fuck, if you, you're an electrician and you wire one thing wrong, does that make you not an electrician? No, mm. you just fucking, you fucked up one time. You, you knew how to do it right, you know? But Ideal- you have to go back and fix it or else. Yeah, and, it, and that would be a thing. Then if you don't go back and fix it and you just keep fucking up every building you're in. I heard this thing and it was saying like a bad what? decision isn't just a bad decision because it always results in 20 other bad decisions having to come from it. Yeah, yeah, unless you learn from it. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. Chapter three. My dear Wormwood, I'm very pleased by what you tell me about this man's relations with his mother. But you must press your advantage. The enemy will be working from the center outwards, gradually bringing more and more of the patient's conduct under a new standard. You may reach his behavior to the old lady at any moment. You may want to get in first. Keep in close touch with our colleague, Glubos, who is in charge of the mother, and build up between you in that house a good settle of habit of a mutual annoyance. Daily pinpricks. The following methods are useful. Keep in mind on the inner life. Oh, keep his mind on the inner life. He thinks his conversation is something inside him, and his attention is therefore chiefly turned at present to the states of his own mind, or rather to that of very exper- expurgated, expurgated version of them, of them, which is all you should allow him to see. Encourage this. Keep his mind off the most elementary duties by directing it to the most advanced and spiritual ones. Aggravate the most human characteristics, the horror and neglect of the obvious. You must bring him to a condition in which he can practice self-examination for one hour without discovering any of the facts about himself, which are perfectly clear to anyone who, who has ever lived in the same house with him or worked in the same office. Two, it is no doubt impossible to prevent his praying for his mother but we have means of rendering the prayers innocuous make sure they are always very spiritual and that he has always concerned with the state of her soul and never with her rheumatism two advantages will follow in the first place his attention will be kept on what he regards as her sins by which with a little guidance from you He can be induced to mean any of her actions which are inconvenient or irritating to himself. Thus, you can keep rubbing on the wounds of of the day a little sorer 
even while he is on his knees. The operation is not at all difficult and you will find it very entertaining. In the second place, since his ideas about her soul will be very crude and often erroneous, he will in some degree be praying for an imaginary person. It will be your task to make that imaginary person daily less and less like the real mother, the sharp-tongued old lady at the breakfast table. In time, you may get to the cleavage so wide that no thought or feeling from his prayers for the imagined mother will ever flow into his treatment for the real one. I have had patients of my own so well in hand that they could be turned at a moment's notice from the impassioned prayer for a wife or son's soul to beating or insulting the real wife or son without a qualm. Wow. <laughs> when two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face which are most unendurably irritating to others. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particularly lift of his mother's eyebrows which he learned to dislike in the nursery and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it too annoy. If you know your job, he will not notice the immense improbability of the assumption. And of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear or defend himself, this is easily managed. In civilized life, domestic hatred usually expresses itself by saying things which would appear quite harmless on paper. The words are not offensive, but in such a voice or at such a moment, they are not far short of a blow to the face. To keep this game up, you and Glubos must see to it that each of you two fools has a sort of double standard. Your patient must demand that all of his own utterances are to be taken at their face values and judge simply the actual words, while at the same time judging all of his mother's utterances with the fullest and most oversensitive interpretation of the tone and to see context and suspected intention, she must be encouraged to do the same to him. Hence, every quarrel, they can both go away convinced or nearly convinced that they are quite innocent. You know the kind of thing. I simply ask what time dinner will be and she flies into a temper. Once this habit is well established, you'll have the delightful situation of a human saying things with the express purpose of offending and yet having a grievance when offense is taken. Finally, let me tell you something about the old lady's religious position. Is she at all jealous of the new factor in her son's life? At all piqued that he should have learned from others and so late what she considers she gave him such a good opportunity of learning in childhood? Does she feel he is making a great deal of fuss about it or that he's getting on very easy terms? Remember, the elder brother is the enemy's story. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Yeah, interesting. So what's the takeaway of this one? So I just feel like it's all, like, whether it's the demons or angels or whatever, let's let's call it insecurities, hmm. where you just assume things that other people are thinking because it's an attack uh. on you, and you, like, um, I'm going to expect the worst. You have no idea. You can never read people's minds. Yeah. But your own insecurities will tell you, well, they, they're doing that on purpose, or yeah. they're trying to bug me, or where they're probably in their own world, exhausted from work, <laughs> walking around, clueless, like... Yeah, it's insecurity speaking, I would yeah. say, from this one. I think uh, lots of people talk about, like, doing drugs. Uh, first time you get do weed, you become super paranoid. 
and if you can break out of that paranoia and realize, well, none of those people care. Like, if all those people are in their own world doing their own thing right now, yeah, they're not thinking about you. That was one lesson I learned from it. But, um, yeah, interesting. I, a lot of these, like, so obvious CS, obviously C.S. Lewis has read the Bible, and I wonder how he's gotten, like, these chapters. Because some of them are, like, don't look at, like, remove the, eye, or the, the log from your own eye before, mm-hmm. you know, uh, looking at somebody else's like a lot of those principles are like woven in I wonder how he kind of chose them and like yeah and this is only chapter three yeah hmm. um anyways yeah he's a genius very interesting there's a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff in here that tires very interesting yeah um, do you want to read one more for this one I think at a half hour you leave it at that otherwise she oh, becomes right. long so then we're gonna leave it at three chapters for this one um but enjoy. We are going to read this entire book yeah, yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. And if you guys have thoughts, we're very, very interested to hear it. So email us at pillowtalkwithmarkandb at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want to support the show, go to Patreon, Pillow Talk with Mark and B, and you can throw us a dollar. Um, yeah. Awesome. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> oh, I guess the one quick question for the listeners is... Um, yeah, so if you come from, like, a non-Christian background, like, we come from a very Christian background, so a lot of this, like, makes sense to us. If you come from a non-Christian background, did you get anything from this? Yeah. Or was that, like, just, like, whoa, that's a bunch of words? Or was it written in a way that you can, yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. does it resonate at all? And does it kind of, like, speak to anything in your life? Or is it, like, well, it's just gibberish? Because <laughs> we always talk about how different, like... Even when I talk to your mom, I speak the language, so I understand it. Yeah, I get, I get the word prophecy and you know all, all the connotations. There's words, like there's the like yeah, buzzwords yeah. almost yeah. <laughs> of like Christianity, so I understand it and I know exactly what it means and I can speak back to it. But yeah. I've got friends who would be like, "What? <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, what? Yeah, oh, no, interesting. Yeah, so well, let well. us know, and let us know on Discord too because I like conversations about this kind of stuff. Um. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Adios.